Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mango Talks TV. I am Lee. I am here. I'm joined by Spencer Spencer. Say hey to people. Hey, everybody. We are on Mandalorian episode four. This is titled Sanctuary, aptly titled. Mm-hmm. Spencer, we were talking a little bit before we started recording. You have some strong feelings about this uh, episode. Yeah, and it's an interesting thing to say because I really do love this series, but even a series you love has to have a relative range of episodes you enjoy and ones you enjoy not quite as much. And for me at least, I would say this is probably my least favorite episode of the se- of the season so far. Well, actually, the le- least, least favorite episode of the season, period. Interesting. I, I actually liked it, but we can get into that. Um, anything you want to plug with Mangum Reads before we get going? Uh, we are continuing our run of pottering around Harry Potter content. We've done our first chapter of, of the third book, The Prisoner of Azkaban, which was a delightfully charming start to a novel. We're starting to do real, uh, various weekend content. Or we even did an escape room last week, which was quite a bit of fun, even if we spend a large portion of it just catching spelling and grammar mistakes, which we've started to develop a pattern of for Harry Potter material. Um, and otherwise, we will be starting up with some short stories for the next couple weeks before we move into our next novel and Mangum Reads. So, hope everybody's listening. I do love that you guys did the Harry Potter escape room. It was quite a bit of fun, actually. Aided by alcohol, as most things are, but it was, yeah, we enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, such a good idea. And I, it, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think you're going to do some alternative content for pottering around going forward, right? That is the hope. We've even considered doing maybe an RPG of where we all sit down, roll characters, and see how that goes, because there are some modules available. But that's going to be an investment that's going to take a couple weeks to prep. Sure, well... Uh, I, I, type I of content also, we need right now. I was also told that I, I think neither you nor Sarah have ever done an escape room before, so we totally need to do that, and there are probably Harry Potter ones out there whenever we can actually travel again. Yeah, no, I've, yeah, I've never done one. Um, but I would like to, I mean, because we talked about it on the Whiskey on the Weekends, which I will plug now. We're doing Whiskey on the Weekends every week. It gets released around Sunday the Monday, and uh, we're basically just doing lockdown coronavirus quarantine content, where we're just mm-hmm. talking about you know what each you know everybody's doing to try to get through the situation we drink from our own supply and it's a good time i'm willing to bet there's also probably star wars escape rooms too if you guys if you want, want to try to rescue princess leia from the detention center help me obi-wan kenobi <laughs> you're my only hope <laughs> all right well we're going to jump into the episode again this is episode four titled sanctuary we're going to do a recap then we're going to do our segments our segments include best line and nostalgic moment of the episode mm-hmm all right, let's get going with the recap. We start with a montage of an idyllic village by a river with a very attractive widow. Um, mm-hmm. Not not bad on the eyes, Spencer. Um, and it looks like she's mining for something. We learn later that's krill. So I guess it's kind of like a almost like a shrimping community. They're, they're, they're eating crawfish. Yeah, basically. And a child tries to catch a frog. That will come up later. Mm-hmm. And then the village comes under attack. The attackers start to loot the place, and the widow and her daughter hide in the water. Uh, not, not, not under attack by just by anyone. It's they're under attack by freaking Lord of the Rings orcs in terms of what these people act like and look like. Yeah, do you have any concept of who these folks are? Because no. to me, it just seemed like some sort of indigenous folk to that you know area. Yeah, I wasn't really sure, and they don't really explain it much more, but they come across as just being this kind of marauding band of barbarians. And that's kind of the stand-in they're, going, they're put into. No, we don't really see. We don't really have much more explained of them, other than they exist in the wild out here, outside of this village, and they are a growing threat. Maybe, maybe they've always been there, but at least lately, they've started to get the tools and the talent necessary to pose mortal peril on these peaceful villagers. Yeah, yeah, not good. 
<clears throat> Cut to Mando. He's in flight with Baby Yoda. He's got Baby Yoda up in the co-pilot seat. Um, really strong Baby Yoda episode here, Spencer. Very strong. Very strong. Uh, a series of adorable moments that just start right here. And this scene absolutely won the internet. Um, I don't know if you saw the memes um, <laughs> from so this many. episode. Yeah. So what, what happens is Baby Yoda sees a button. Um, and as babies do, wants to press said button. Uh, presses it. Mando says, stop touching things. But that doesn't stop Baby Yoda. He touches it two more times. And this whole sequence is extremely funny because <laughs> what the internet did is they spliced in music to be played every time Baby Yoda touched the button. Mm-hmm. So what you would have is like, um, go shorty. It's your birthday, you know, like 50 cent. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then, like, he presses the button and the music hits, and then Mando turns it off, and boom, he presses it and the music hits. Uh, mm-hmm. Very, very popular meme on the internet. I enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. My, my favorite part of it, too, is that he acts exactly like my cats did when I was when I had growing up, of where after he's been told not to do something, he looks exactly at him, and then without looking at the button, just kind of reaches over and touches it, and it opens yep. defiance. <laughs> Which is totally what my cats do is, hey, get off that counter. It's like, oh, you want me on the counter? Watch as I diligently push this glass slowly off as I stare you right in the eye. And what's interesting is, and this shows how far the the relationship between Mando and Baby Yoda goes, he doesn't even put him back in the pod or put him in the back. He he actually takes him and puts him on his lap. Mm -hmm. And he explains that they're going to a planet called Sorgan, which in Mando's mind is super low-key and they'll be able to relax for a few months. Yeah, no industry, no real spaceport, nothing really to connect to the broader intergalactic community, so ideal for hiding out. And like you said, it's a, it's a demonstration of how much the two of them have gotten closer. That he puts him in his lap and even says, ready to, ready to lay low and stretch your legs for a couple months, you little womp rat. He even has a pet name for him now. Yep, yep. Absolutely. Uh, Amanda's getting very close to Baby Yoda. And Baby Yoda, obviously, is starting to see and treat Mando like a father figure. Very much so, yes. We see that a lot this episode. Mando arrives and he keeps Baby Yoda on the ship while he looks for lodging. He gives Baby Yoda instructions to not touch anything. But Spencer, to me, it's particularly unclear if Baby Yoda understands words. Yeah. He's, Mando seems content that Baby Yoda's understanding, but the next scene we have is, okay, don't touch anything, stay right here, I'll be back. You understand? Good. The uh, hatch drops and Baby Yoda is right there next to him, ready to waddle out of the ship. Yeah, and this like goes to, and you talked about this on a previous episode, but one of my favorite theories of the show that I actually hadn't heard until you brought it up, which shout out to you, is that you know the, the species that Baby Yoda is, that Yoda was, Yaddle was, mm-hmm. they don't normally just speak, they just normally talk through the force. This is the theory. Mm-hmm. And learning to talk, like almost like it, it's an abnormal thing for them, which is why Yoda talks so weird, why Yaddle talks so weird, and why Baby Yoda has not picked up language yet. Yeah, but it's love that theory. I think that's a really strong theory. I, I, it's a it's a fun one to debate because it essentially suggests that because of their developing force powers, speech has been rendered almost vestigial and is a difficult thing for them to even recover. But yeah, it. it we have yet we have yet. To, I don't think we see at any point Baby Yoda even exp- say. Not even just say words, but even express a sound other than cooing. Mm-hmm. It's, he is not vocal in any sense, which is odd for most, you know, t- terrestrial creatures that we know and understand. Yep. But uh, true to form, Baby Yoda does not uh, take, take that <laughs> instruction well, and he follows him. And Mando finally says, what the hell? And he lets Baby Yoda come along. 
which is utterly adorable to see Baby Yoda walk through, walk beside uh, Mando through the forest. Yo, he can walk a lot faster than I thought he could. Oh yeah, he's shuffling well. <laughs> they they arrive at some sort of cantina or restaurant type place that has some sort of good looking grilled meats and some pasta. Do you can um, check that out, Spencer? I am down. Yeah. Man. Does this place have a Yelp review? Can we arrange for appointments? I'm. I, I, this sounds like a wonderful place for dinner. Solid kebabs, and it looked like some yabasoda noodles. Oh, man, really yeah. good. I'm a little bit concerned about maybe what the uh, health and safety rating is for the place, but we can check into that. Ah, I don't care about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the risk you take for good food. Baby Yoda's having a good old time looking around, and a pet of some sort snaps at, uh, some sort snaps at him. Uh, pissed me off. I wanted mm-hmm. to kick this little fucking dog or whatever it was. And Mando and Baby Yoda sit down. A waitress comes up, and Mando orders bone broth for the kid. Mm-hmm. He notices a woman sitting in the corner and asks about her. The waitress doesn't have much information for him. Mando pays the waitress, looks up, and the woman in the corner is gone. Which raises every possible suspicion that Mando has already had. Not good. Mando flips the waitress a coin, asks her to look after the kid, and takes off to look for the woman. This woman, uh, her name is Cara Dune. And she is playing by Gina Carino. Now, Spencer, if I remember correctly, when you and I were first watching this, uh, you called out that this was Gina Carino, correct? I did, yeah. Uh, she is a relatively famous in, uh, female mar- mixed martial artist. Uh, with a very successful career in that, but afterwards transitioned into acting and has been in a few things previously. Like, um, did you ever see the uh, original Deadpool? Uh, yes. She is Angel Dust. She's one of the main, one, one of the main superhero villains. Yeah, good call by you. Um, Mando walks outside. He turns on what looks like it, it, Spencer. I'm, I'm guessing here, but it looks like a heat sensor. Yeah, this is like some kind of predator vision of seeing where like the heat through her footprints is. It, it's it's either a heat sensor or it's a depression sensor. Because I'm not really sure how you detect much heat in the way of footprints through shoes. But either way, it seems to be some kind of thermal stare. Exactly. Yeah, and it allows her to uh, allows him to see fresh footprints. He tracks her until he sees footprint, footprints that seem to disappear. Now, this is a trope, right? Yeah, very much a trope. Attacked from above. Yeah, where you're 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 looking at the footprints of somebody, and oh, well, they ended. Oh, where are they? Boom, and they jump down. And that's exactly what she does. She jumps down from on high, and um, they fight. And in what initially resembles a street fight, uh, Mando ups the ante and tries to fry her. Yeah, which she pretty quickly bashes aside. But it's interesting to see that previously they're just punching each other and throwing each other around. Mando ups this to attempted murder. Yeah, he does. Because <laughs> that, that, yeah, that's that's kind of what I was going with with my my notes is that like it looks like they were just kind of street brawling. But then Mando tries to fry her, which is like you're like, whoa, dude, what the hell? But she stops it, and they eventually fight to a stalemate with blasters pulled and pointed at each other's heads. And all time moment here. I have a T-shirt. <laughs> I have a t-shirt with this on it, Spencer. I you, may send you a t-shirt with this on it. Baby Yoda walks outside, cup of bone broth in hand, and just kind of gives them a look. Like, what, what's going on out here, guys? Why, why are mommy and daddy fighting? <laughs> Mando says, want some soup? <laughs> I love that when we watched this for the first time, when I was watching it for the first time, you straight up cheered, even though it was probably like the third time you'd seen this scene. Oh, God. Yeah, when, when they point the blasters at each other and they're on the ground and they turn and look and baby Yoda's got this big ass cup and he's chugging and he's drinking yeah and so there's so many memes on the internet about this scene mm-hmm. uh, but the one that I like the most uh, you know and I won't turn this into just like repeating internet memes but this one was particularly good is 
they show the shot of baby Yoda with the bone broth and it's me returning from the bar after my friends tried to cut me off. (laughs) (laughs) I had not seen that one. Pretty strong. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So then they go inside and Kara gives her backstory. She says that after Endor, she was commissioned by the New Republic to deal with the remaining Imperial targets. So what that tells you is that she worked for the New Republic um, and the Rebellion before that. Yeah. Uh, uh, what they say? A shock trooper or a drop trooper? Shock trooper. Yeah, that's yeah. what they said. Uh, actually, I was going to ask you, Spencer, do you know what a shock trooper is? I, I'm really, no, not, not within the lore, but just working off the name. Seems to be the kind of guy, and what she describes later on uh, in the series, that dr- the first person that drops onto a planet to just start destabilizing things to a more significant invasion force can follow thereafter. So yes. that is a hardcore person. Yeah, and that, that aligns with what she says, you know, her backstory is in the scene because she explains that, like, basically she was, after Endor, her responsibility was to go after the remaining Imperial targets. Right. And she, she even was, says that... She was the, okay with that. Yeah, she even says that the New Republic told her to do it kind of on the down low. Like, yeah. Like, she was kind of like an assassin-type character. Um, but apparently once the major targets were dealt with. She didn't have a lot of work. And what they wanted her to do is basically be a glorified uh, bodyguard to protect ambassadors, politicians, et cetera. And she didn't want any part of that. Yeah. She was much more enduring a special forces rather than a UN peacekeeper kind of role. And there just wasn't really a role for her in peace. Yep. Go ahead. Though it's strongly suggested there may be something else going on here too. Because it seems like she's got a target on her back that's not just simply associated with, you know, not renewing her military commitment. Well, no. I mean, I think it, it, I think it goes to the same thing that is um, the same forces that are going after Baby Yoda, which is there are still, you know, military or, you know, military powers that were previously associated with the Empire that are out there that have money and that are paying the guild to go after folks. And I think that if, you know, if she was what she says she is, which she went after high profile Imperial targets, mm-hmm. I, it would make sense that any Imperial moth, for example, that was still out there or whatever, potentially would pay for a fob to try to get her. That's actually a great call. It is very possible. From everything we see, the Imperial remnant, particularly in this area of the galaxy in the outer rim is still a significant force and not to be trifled with. Yeah. I mean, if they have the money to go after baby Yoda, I mean, I'm sure they'd go after her. I mean, if, if she was just like kind of laying waste to them and with the fight skills we see from her, uh, I have no doubt that she wrecked a lot of people. Oh yeah. I really enjoy her fight with Mando because they just throw the hell down. They're beating the shit out of each other real damn quick. You can almost understand why Mando's escalating this using fire because he's getting his ass handed to him. Well, there was one punch that I thought was particularly good where she hit Mando and his head hit the ground before his body did. Oh yeah. Straight up in the air. (laughs) Jesus Christ. How strong is this person? Uh, But yeah, that's, that's kind of her backstory. And she says she ends up on Sorgan and she calls it an early retirement, which I just don't buy at all. Mm -hmm. She's hiding that. Yeah. She also explains that she went at Mando because she assumed that he was in the guild and had a fob out for her, which is decidedly not true. Mando Mm. is kind of not even the guild anymore. Whereas he seemed to have assumed basically the same thing about her. And it's funny to me, Spencer, how quickly these two strike up a friendship. Oh, yeah. I mean, they they honestly have a lot in common. They're both, you know, exceptionally skilled individuals who are very tried by the ways of the world. 
and now they're both hiding out from freeing from, fleeing from their past. This is an el- this is an opportunity to bond, which you know, uh, Carla almost immediately tries to put the kibosh on by basically saying, "Eh, I got here first. My entire planet, you gotta go." Which yeah, is just it, yep. funny. <laughs> yeah, which is the next part of the recap. And then Mando, after she says that, Mando looks at Baby Yoda and says, looks like this planet is taken. I, 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 I mean, this is a very Western tropey episode. We see a lot of these things. But this is basically the equivalent of her walking up to him and saying, this town ain't big enough for the two of us. And it's the entire freaking planet. Yeah, so, I mean, I think a lot of people have explained this series as a Star Wars Western. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair. I think this episode in particular is very tropey with, you know, things from Westerns. I mean, all the way to, like, Mando arrives in the town, which we'll get to in the recap, like, on the back of a wagon. Oh, yeah. He's he's being brought in by the stagecoach. (laughs) Hilarious. All right. Later that evening, Mando is approached by two farmers. From the place we saw at the start of the episode, they ask him to help uh, show him some money, and Mando says it's not enough. They're like, hey, dude. You don't even know what the job is. He said, yeah, it's not enough. So that tells you that they really are poor people. They don't have a lot of money. Yeah, these guys are practically subsistence. They're selling some goods to buy additional things like, you know, droid repairs and stuff like that. But their extra margins are minimal at best. I mean, for them not to even to not have enough money for Mando to consider any job Mm -hmm. has to tell you it's it's a very small amount of money. And we, we've seen previously with him working bounties that he was already taking jobs that were barely paying his expenses. So he, he's still working pretty minimal margins, but eh, yeah, they can't even they can't even get close to those. Mm-hmm. And the farmers are about to go back, and they mentioned they wrote a day to get there, and now they have to write a day to get back to quote the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Boom! That was the right thing to say. This oh. piques Mando's interest, and he takes the job. But something he wants to arrange first. Yep, he takes the credits. He finds Kara, gives it to her. And pitch, pitches the job by saying she'd be safer there, considering there are potentially fobs out for her, which she, you know, kind of, you know, uh, showed her hand when she explained to Mando why she attacked him. Mando refers to her as an ex-shock trooper. That's the first time we hear that phrase. And, yeah, they, they go into a bit of their background here as well. Uh, it's interesting to see your interpretation of why he predicted this, because I didn't really understand it when I first watched it, of why he was roping her in. I wasn't sure whether he thought he needed help on the job, but I think that's a good interpretation of where he's essentially trying, yeah, I'm going to leave, but let's find you an even safer place to go. No, I think he pretty quickly really liked her, and I think yeah. he was trying to help her. Uh, it does come up very, very handy later, because he, there's no way he could have done this job without her, but I don't know that he thought he needed her help at this point. Now, we start here a, a very classic Western plot. I'm curious, have you seen um, the run of films like uh, Seven Samurai, Magnificent Samurai, Three Amigos, Bugs Life, all of those, uh, we, need to protect the, we need to protect the villagers from outside bandits? Nope. We need to watch some of those at some point. It is a very common trope, and we are very much setting into it, with elements of, like, maybe Shane, which is another great Western, of we need to protect the determined homesteaders from outside threats. But... That is the plot we're setting up, but I don't think either of our heroes fully understand how dangerous this plot is going to be. Right. Uh, They arrive at the village, and the village kids immediately take to Baby Yoda. Of course they do. Of course. He's cute. How could you not? Baby Yoda also takes to the kids, if you notice. He does. He responds well to the attention. Mando is asked to go into the hut they prepared for him, and it's the widow that we saw at the start of the... Uh, episode. Did, Spencer, did you catch her name? 
I don't know if they gave her name, actually. You know, it's probably in the credits, but I do not remember her other than the pretty widow. Yep, that's all I, I got. So that's, I'm going to refer to her as the widow. <clears throat> that's all I got. Uh, she introduces Mando to her daughter and says Mando is going to help protect them from the raiders. Uh, interesting score in this episode. I don't know if you noticed that. Uh, um, Omera is her name for a character, apparently. Omera, okay. Um, but the score is like really on the nose. Like here it's like this really soft, like romantic music. And then like later it like, it's really he- Like I-, I felt like the score in this episode was really on the nose. It was really on the nose in terms of emphasizing the scenes. One thing I felt was a little bit forced though, was how quickly this starts between the two of them. Uh, yeah. Where he just got into town and they already turn on that music and she's already starting to flirt with him and make the moves. Which, you know, fine, romances can start like that, but it kind of sets up that there's a few things in this episode that I think it could have been done better if there's a little bit of more build-up attached to them. And one key one is this romantic relationship, given how important it is. Yeah, I agree. Uh, they go to leave... Um, or no, sorry, later the, um, the widow takes some food to Mando, and her daughter feeds Baby Yoda and asks to play with him. Uh, Mando says yes, but then she tries to take Man- uh, Baby Yoda out of the hut, and Mando objects. And the widow insists they'll be fine. Uh, she says she will leave the food there so he can eat when she's gone. So that, that shows that she understands a little bit about the Mandalorians, right? That he can't take his helmet off. He seems to understand that that part, just not necessarily how absolute it is. She's like, eh, when was the last time you took it off? He's like, well, yesterday. Well, how about to somebody else? Eh, when I was 10. Yeah, yeah, that does come up later. She asks how long... Yeah, anyway, that's um, you, you covered that. And Mando and Kara go out into the woods to track the attackers. And they see the footprints <laughs> of an ATST Spencer. Oh, the nostalgia. The wonderful nostalgia. Uh, I th- miss this is, Chicken Walker so much. This, this absolutely has to be a, a candidate for nostalgic moment of the episode, right? Uh, no question. I've missed those damn Chicken Walkers so much. We've been They've been so conspicuously absent from the Star Wars canon up until now. And here they are. They're back and they're lovely. So for all the people who call... AT-ATs, which are the, the really large um, yeah. machines that were involved in Hoth, at-ats, you're wrong. <laughs> it's AT-AT yes. because this is AT-ST. Yes, this is how it works. You spell <laughs> it out. Adjust. <laughs> yeah. So they see the footprints of an AT-ST, which is an Imperial Walker, what we saw at the Battle of Endor. Um, question for you, Spencer. How the hell did these indigenous folks get a damn ATST? I don't know. I really wish we'd had these guys developed a little bit more. I looked it up enough to know that they are apparently Clatoonians, which is a species I had totally not even heard of before. But yeah, yeah why they're here, what they're doing, who this one leader guy is that they develop enough to, ki- to focus on his death later, and how they have a freaking ATST on this backwater world. Yeah, I kind of would want a little bit more time spent with our villains because I have questions. Yeah, yeah, well, that's the that's the unfortunate situation about having a 35-minute episode. But Mando and Kara tried to tell the villagers they need to move, which doesn't go over well at all. The villagers explained that they seeded the krill ponds, which, to your point, it's like crawfish or shrimp or something, years ago, and moving isn't an option for them. They offered to fight. Shout out to these villagers, by the way. Oh, yeah, they're down. And it's like, there's no convincing them. There's no talking, this is necessary, this is the only way we win it. It's like, they're the ones that are pushing this while our heroes just want to get the hell out of Dodge. Yeah, Kara shoots it down, but Mando, I think impressed by the villagers, says, you know what, we can teach them. 
Yeah. We can and, teach them how to kill this ATSD. I love, utterly love Mando's just complete lack of bedside manner when they originally present this. When they've seen the ATSD, they know they're screwed. They gotta go. And he opens the conversation with, bad news, you can't live here anymore. No lead in, no explanation, just, okay, and I'm done. My sentence is finished. I know, and even even Kara, who doesn't have a great meds, bedside manner herself, says, dude, you can't just say that. <laughs> Which, I like that he's even almost defensive about it. It's like, yeah, what do you think you could do any better? It's like, yeah, watch yeah. me. <laughs> this is not going to take much effort. Well, and it's interesting because after she starts, then it flips back, right? Because yes. then Mando's like, hey, well, hold on, Kara, we can teach him. Yeah. I, think he, he, I think he just likes the pluckiness of the villagers. I think he and how they're the willing to fight. I think he likes the pluckiness, and I think it imbo- this scene really embodies the, the twin aspects of his character, of where the exterior is stoic, impersonable, emotionless. But once you get a little bit underneath that, once he starts to view you as a person, we see the empathy that just bubbles out of the guy. Yeah, totally. Uh, Mando and Kara then lay out the plan. They're going to attack the raiders' camp. And, and tell me if I get this wrong, but it, this is what I thought the plan was. So they're going to attack the raiders' camp, and in doing that, they're going to try to push them toward the village, kind of goad them into an attack. Yep. Then they're going to dig deep trenches, which they hope in a, in a pond, which they hope will cause the ATSC to crash. Mm-hmm. Then they'll build barricades on either side that will force them to kind of enter the village in one area, kind of you know siphon them down. Um, that's kind of what I got from the plan. What do you think? That, that seems to be exactly what's going on of where I'm, I'm picking up this there's probably like a several week time jump that happens here of where we see a montage of them training the villagers, preparing these various efforts. There's a, there's a lot of prep that goes into the making this plan work. You can't just give the villagers guns and expect that to work out well. Mm-hmm. But they definitely have a few moving pieces here to try to minimize what is going to be otherwise an incredibly risky thing that they're about to do. So, yeah, Spencer, everybody is willing, obviously willing to fight. Uh, Mando asks who can shoot, and only that very foxy widow raises her hand. Uh, <laughs> then we get, then we get a very 1980s esque training montage. Oh, very much so. I, I wanted Rocky theme music throughout all this. <laughs> yeah, cut to Mando talking to the widow. The Mando explains it. Uh, Mando explains that they're going to leave at sunset, and when they come back, the Raiders will be following them. He says, "We're going to come in hot," uh, and the widow says she's ready. And yeah, they seem the village seems very much united around this cause. They've built their barricades. They're pretty damn well equipped considering the circumstances, and even considering their opponent, where we saw I think for most of these Clatoonians, it seems like they were wielding primarily melee weapons rather than even blasters. Yeah, absolutely. And I, one thing I don't know if you caught this, um, but Kara catches that moment between Mando and the Widow. Kara is already shipping these two. Yep. And then we see Kara and Mando attacking the camp. Spencer, I got to tell you, um, you know I'm a big wrestling fan. Mm-hmm. Um, long-time wrestling fan. I think Mando and Kara could make a run at Tag Team Champions of the World. The, 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 their wrestling fighting moments are my favorite moments of this episode. Because when they go into that kind of central facility where they keep a lot of the things that they've stolen, they throw the hell down and it's just damn entertaining. Dude, they kick ass in this camp. Um, <laughs> and they succeed in getting the ATSC to fire up and chase them. Uh, but basically blowing up the, the uh, command post inside the camp. Mm-hmm. And the villagers wait as the ATSD approaches. The ATSD stops. It looks around. The villagers hide. The ATSD attacks and the raiders follow it. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and a lot pretty quickly stops going according to plan. Yep. 
Because, you know, fitting the fact that these guys are, you know, been relatively successful raiders, the ATST does not fall for the trap. In fact, it seems like it realizes it's there. Well, it, it does until it doesn't, right? It, um, it, it does until it, it gets distracted by something else. Yep, the villagers fire blasters at the ATSD. Everyone seems to be waiting for the ATSD to move forward, and Kara takes off. Mando covers her. Kara uses Mando's incinerator gun. Do I have that right? I think uh, that's what she was using. I think she I think it refers to it as a pulse rifle, but it's yeah, it's just, it's just it's his disintegration gun that she's using. Yeah. And she uses that to draw the ATSD forward. Um, because Kara lands a shot in one of the ATSD windows. Mm-hmm. And I think that like what was happening here, to your point, is that the people commanding the ATSD thought, well, it's not worth it to like risk going in, but when she actually lands a shot in the window. Hitting them, they. I, I, my thought is they thought, well, we don't have any other choice. We have to go attack now. Yeah, I interpreted it one of two ways. Either A, like you said, that I can't hit her by staying here, and she just got a shot in into the cockpit. Fuck it. We're going in to get rid of this a very annoying person. Right. Or option number two, she might have killed somebody in there, and they just kind of lost control of the damn thing for a second. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. But I uh, way, it, yeah, one, thing, one thing I really liked about the scene was that when she says, give me your gun, Mando doesn't even hesitate. Just like, here you go. Just shows how quickly these two have bonded. Yeah, yeah, no, they, they have. And probably faster than Mando has bonded with anybody in the entire season, really. Yeah. Except for maybe Krill, right? Even Krill, I think, really took two episodes to really effectively make it happen. There was still some, like, tension between the two of them. By the end, they definitely left as buddies. But yeah, these two, they're already Bash brothers. Yep, ATST moves forward, buckles uh, when it... Um, steps a foot into the pit that was dug under the lake, falls down, and explodes. Cue sentimental music, and everyone celebrates. Woo, Spencer. Well, well, first we have to have a bit of an Olympic torch running, where it takes a hell of a lot of abuse, but the thing is still shooting even though it's fallen down. It takes Mando running out there with a thermal detonator to uh, finally put the thing out of commission. Yeah, and so my question for you, Spencer, is like, how do you, do you think this scene was rushed? Yeah, I do. Because I did too. I think one of the big, for a lot of those movies I just mentioned, you know, Seven Samurai, Magnificent Seven, Bugs Life, even Three Amigos, one of the things that works really well about them is that they develop both the setting, the people that, are, they develop all your characters, all your moving pieces. You develop the villagers, you develop the situation, you even develop the bandits and their leader and make them proper characters. Because it gives you a degree of investment in what's going on and a degree of risk about what you could lose if things don't play out. I don't think we really ever get that. The only real moments of, you know, like... One thing we talked about what we liked about the prior episodes is that Mando, his fights are tough. Even though he's incredibly skilled, he has to really work at these things and he's constantly under threat. Yep. Only times he really feels under threat in this episode is when he's with Kara and they're being Bash Brothers. When the two of them are fighting each other and that brief moment that we like when they're throwing down in the command post. For the rest of this actual, what's meant to be an impressive battle scene... I never feel for a second like either of them are at any risk of harm. And that's a bit of a loss for a moment like this. Well, but could that also be like sort of a uh, foreshadowing of how well they work together? Could well be. And it could set up well for, for later on. But like you said, it seems like they could have added in a little bit more, just spent a little bit more time with this, maybe made this a two-part episode, and given us the kind of development and build-up to make this feel decidedly less rushed. Because there's a lot of really important moments in this. There's a lot of very valuable set yeah. pieces. But they all only get like two minutes because they're beholden to the 30-minute format. 
Yeah, and I I completely agree. I'm okay with Mando and Kara dominating, mm-hmm. but I just felt like they dominated in like four minutes, and like that <laughs> just seemed very very quick. Yes, I very much agree. Um, it makes for some impressive action scenes. Again, it just tugs on my nostalgic heartstrings to see an ATST there fighting in this battle. But other than that, most of the rest of it just feels like quick little shots of moving pieces. What were you what were you calling ATSD's chicken legs? Chicken walkers. Chicken walkers. <laughs> Pretty funny. Yeah, cuz I mean, like the nostalgic moment for me was watching them sort of buckle and fall cuz yeah, I mean, we that's... saw that multiple times in the Battle of Endor. Oh yeah, Tri- tripping on the logs, uh very you know, Ewoks messing with them in all kinds of ways. That's just fun. <laughs> if they have one flaw it's stability and they Mando and Kara knew how to exploit that. Yep, and they did uh to a T. And the villagers win, and the uh, the raiders back off. The next morning, the kids are playing with Baby Yoda. Of course they are. Uh, Baby Yoda, very cute moment here. He picks up a frog, uh, puts it in his mouth. Uh, the kids freak out, Ew. and then he, sp- he spits it out. <laughs> like, clearly embarrassed. It's like, I was just, I was, okay, fine. I, I know. <laughs> that, man, that really hit my heartstrings because I felt like, oh, oh, baby Yoda was embarrassed. Oh, he, no. He's it's just, okay, buddy. You can have a frog if you want. Just, he's hungry. Why aren't you feeding your Yoda? Come on, people. <laughs> uh, the widow tells Mando that baby Yoda fits right in there. Uh, she walks off and Kara asks Mando what happens if he takes off his helmet. Would the Mandalorians kill him? Well, no, we know that. Um, he just could never put it on again, which is what Mando explains. Kara pitches the completely reasonable idea. Completely reasonable, Spencer. I, and actually, this is this gets my vote. Yeah. That Mando should just fucking stay there. Uh, yeah, I'm, pu- I'm fully with you there. Because this is one of those scenarios of where she, he says this you know, with all this gravitas of her, I'd never be able to put it on again. And there's a pause, and she just looks at him and says, that's it? That's it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the reason that's what you're, you're not worried about. <laughs> that's the reason you're not shacking up with this attractive widow and setting a life down here in peace where you'd be happy. The thing I'm actively trying to find right now, dude, I- I'm very much with you. Now we see some decisive evidence for why that can't really happen here in a second, at least for right now. But at this point, I'm fully on this ship. It's just like, this is an opportunity and a life. Jump on it, man. Absolutely. But one of the things, if I'm Mando, I would be trying to explain to Kara is I can't raise this kid. This kid is 50 years old. (laughs) It's, it's going to, I will die and it will just barely be in elementary school. Like, yeah, (laughs) it's aging differently than me. So I can't really, I can't really like raise it. And and by the way, that comes up later in the series. To, Um, To which Kara's response should be to that practical question is, yeah, that's why you settle down in a village like this, because it takes a community. Even if you're gone, they can keep on going with respect to this kid. In a way, sure. you wouldn't be able to happen if you just die while you're out on your adventures. Now, the alternative to that is we see what the plan is in the very last episode. Yep. But again, this could work. Yeah, it could. Yeah, And I, I, at this point in the series, if I was Mando, I would have done it. Mando does not do it. Um... And he says, no, I'm, I'm going to leave. My, my place isn't here. But he's going to leave Baby Yoda there. Yeah. Uh, quote from Kara, it's going to break his little heart. Mm-hmm. Quote from Mando, he'll get over it. We all do. Pretty, pretty strong quote there. Pretty strong quote, maybe along the episode. And again, reflects yep. how, much, how, much, how much of what is motivating Mando is his own experiences of childhood. And how much he's putting that on Baby Yoda. 
Yep, and then we see a shadowy figure in the woods with a tracking beacon. Uh, I, at least for me, the first time I saw this, I did actually connect that it was probably a tracking be- beacon for Baby Yoda. Mm-hmm. We cut back to the village, and Mando asks for a word with the widow. Mando says, Baby Yoda is happy there. The widow asks if Mando is happy here. Are you happy here? It's the widow shooting a shot here, Spencer. Oh, she's pushing hard. She's pushing hard in this conversation. <laughs> you and your boy could be happy here. He could be a child for a while. Mm-hmm. Great line. The widow tries to take off his helmet and he stops her. He says, I don't belong here. We see the shadowy figure lining up a shot. We see through the scope he's aiming at Baby Yoda. I'll tell you this, Spencer. I was losing my mind first time I watched this. I, I, like, I intellectually knew they weren't going to kill Baby Yoda. But in the moment. In the moment. Out of my mind. Like I was so worried. I, literally, I stood up from my chair as I was watching this. And we hear a shot. Mando tells the widow to get the kids. We see that Kara actually shot the bounty hunter who was trying to kill Baby Yoda before he could kill Baby Yoda. Again, I do love with this series that as good as Mando is, he is succeeding due to his friends. Yep. There are so many moments of where he would have abjectly failed at this point were it not from the assistance of those he's earned the loyalty of. And this is definitely one of those moments. Yoda was dead to rights. Yep, he was. And call me a softy here. Um, but I actually like that out of my heroes in my stories. Oh, yeah. I like that people, uh, our, our, our protagonists, have to rely on their friends. Oh, yeah. It, it avoids the kind of super uh, Superman situation of where if you make your hero just so utterly invulnerable, it kind of removes a bit of investment in the story. You need somebody that actually builds a coalition that works with others because that's the kind of, you know, societal thing that actually makes the world go round. Right. And it's also much more realistic. And I also like kind of just get some jollies out of that. Right. Yes. Like I, I just like that. Like he needed the help of Kara. Kara gave him that help and like, bang, baby Yoda is saved. So Mando um, and Kara discuss, uh, discuss the tracking fob and Mando admits someone will always be coming for baby Yoda because we know this from previous episodes where Mando asked the question uh, to grief. He said, how many people did you give this tracking fob to? And he said, everybody. <laughs> they all have it. They're all out there and they are pissed. Yeah. So there's a ton of them. And I'm sure that the, the bounty out there for Baby Yoda is still you know, still still alive. And so people are always going to be coming. Uh, so Mando realizes, okay, well, my original plan, I, I can't leave the kid here. I have to take him with me. Mando preps the wagon to leave. Mm-hmm. And they leave on the same stagecoach that they entered on while everyone waves. Yep, Car and Mando say goodbye. Uh, one of the kid hug one of the kids hug Baby Yoda, which I thought was like so fucking sweet. It was oh, incredible. Yeah. Can, uh, go ahead. I, I can just imagine all the various uh, child, uh, child actors that were on the stage for that uh, for that for this episode, just going, you know what? Don't even pay me. Can I just hug him? Can, can that can that be my form of payment, please? <laughs> like Warner Herzog. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> who I, cried when he saw Baby Yoda. It's the most adorable story. Uh, the widow thanks Mando. He leaves and they all wave. End of episode. So, all right, we got through the recap. Spencer, you said this is your least favorite episode of the season. Why? And it is, and it's not necessarily because of its parts. It's because of what it's ultimately put together as. There are a lot of parts of this I really enjoy. I actually really, li- though it's incredibly tropey, I like them working in these um, 
these various uh, Western tropes. It's part of the theme they've made for this entire show, and I think that works well to have the classic trope of saving the villagers, to have very much Shane elements of the gunslinger being brought into town and helping protect the homesteaders, and then having to leave in the end because he's not fit to be part of the world he's helped protect for them. Those are very classic Western tropes, and they're fun to see put into a Star Wars setting. I like the sub-character they put it here. Cara Dune is an interesting sub-character who develops in very interesting ways over the course of this show. And played wonderfully well, by Jennifer. Well, I, I, I do. Well, I will stop you there. Is she really a sub-character? Because like we see her so much more through the... I mean, she seems like a main character, right? At this point, I did not know. At this okay, point, yeah, I was fair. not yeah. sure how episodic yeah, this fair. was going to be. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, um, I thought maybe like, we'll see her again in season two. I thought she was done. This was going to be her episodic moment, and that would be good. Not realizing yep. that she's not going to be one of the major characters in the entire series, which is great. She's a good secondary character. Yep. Um, some adorable Baby Yoda moments. Uh, I even enjoy some of the idea of the, of the pondering the alternative life for Mando. All of these are great moments. I just, and I adored having an ATST back again. I just mm-hmm. don't think they all work necessarily that well together, primarily because they are all put in the same episode. This is a lot of material, a lot of big, important moments and themes for your entire show and for keeping with your Western moments you want to endorse in that you have crammed into 30 minutes. And so they all kind of get short shift. And that's a shame because a lot of these are good moments, but the overall package comes across as kind of rushed and not necessarily that well developed. And that's a loss. I, if they if this had been an episode that had made a two-parter, and it seems like it would have worked well as a two-parter for how much material they're putting in this, they could have developed this a lot more and added a lot more investment for us and what plays out, and a lot more development for where everybody goes. But instead, it comes across as being very episodic and just a chance to touch on a few tropes, which is fine, but I kind of hope for more out of this series from what I've seen it's capable of doing. You know what? I, I agree with you. Um, I think that you know, Favreau was really trying to create a sort of, like you say, an episodic series. Like everything is like a sort of condensed story, except for the last two episodes, which are, which are basically one episode, but split out between two. I think they could have done the same thing here. I also think that like, he doesn't need to be married to the 30 to 40 minute time period, right? Because this isn't on TV. This is on Disney plus take as much time as you want. Like (laughs) you could have done an hour for this episode. It would have totally been fine. There would be no, uh, no repercussions for that. So yeah, no Spencer, I completely agree. Um, I thought that this, the episode was good. A lot of good things in it, but it was rushed. Mm -hmm. And you know, that even, even the worst episode of a good series can still be quality. And this one is. Right. This is still in this is still very entertaining. It still has some great moments. You just can see the strings and see how they could have done it better. And that's more of a commentary on how much we enjoy the show rather than a criticism. Spencer, do you think we'll see the widow again? Yes. Very much okay. so. I, and okay. again, that's why I wish they'd develop that a little bit more. Cause that that in particular came across as rushed, which is a shame. Because this seems like something that they are putting forward as, this is a lodestone for this character. Keep track of it. This is an alternative life. This is a retirement. This is a way a character's arc can end. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, you needed to give me more time with this. Because this is a big fucking deal. Yeah, completely agree. Oh, shout out Joe Biden. Um, (laughs) uh, All right. You want to get to our segments? Yeah, let's go into it. Okay. Let's do best line of the episode. Spencer, do you have any uh, candidates? I have a few. And all of them are very much centered around moments of characters bonding, which is just fun. 
of where I adore the first moment when the first that when we talked about how how much that scene with the Mando and the Baby Yoda in the, in the cockpit of his ship has been memed. I adore that line of "ready to lay low and stretch your legs for a couple months, you little womp rat," because it shows how close the two of them have gotten. How much he's not viewing this kid as a burden; he's really viewing him as, at a minimum, a friend, and probably more likely as a surrogate son. Yeah, like family. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Um, I like that line a lot. I mentioned before I really enjoyed the line of Mando just utterly deadpan. Bad news, you can't live here anymore. Just because, how did he expect that one would land? It just. It's, <laughs> It's a great moment of representing that, yeah, this is a really empathetic character who really actually starts to bond well with others and people like him, but you have to really get through the frosty exterior that's been conditioned upon him. And the final one I liked was, again, just a bonding moment between, well, I would basically just say several moments in that conversation of where um, uh, Cara Dune, is that right? Carla Dune? Yeah, Cara. Cara Dune. And Mando are talking about him leaving, how he's not fit there. I don't want to say the entire conversation, but there's a lot of really great lines there. Uh, particularly the line you mentioned at the end about how people healing in the end is a great line. Um, so yeah, those would be my recommendations. Okay. Um, I'm going to choose one that it's not really, it's, it's, a, it's a tough choice because it's not really indicative of where the plot goes in this episode but it is indicative of where i think the series is going and that is it's going to break his little heart quote he'll get over it we all do i agree i think that's a very strong line and i think it may again be a bit of a certain degree of foreshadowing about where all this ends up yep i exactly i, I don't picture this series ending with mando and yoda being together i nope. don't see how that ends i don't see how that works so mm-hmm there's going to be a bittersweet element of tragedy put into this but before we're done. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I think that's what we're setting up for, and I, and I do think that was a bit of foreshadowing there. It's just a, just a really well-done line. Um, okay, let's get to, oh my gosh, Spencer, nostalgic moment of the episode. I think we already covered this, didn't we? Uh, it's it's totally the ATST. It's absolutely the ATST. Yep. It was so great seeing the ATST. It brought back Battle of Endor and Return of the Jedi, and I was so happy to see it. But there's one other thing I want to mention. I just it occurred to me how much I really it it I was happy that it was there. Uh, the mere fact that we get a mention of the Rebel Alliance, because it has been a long time in Star Wars movies since we got to hear about the Rebel Alliance, got to hear about the soldiers that were fighting against the Empire. We really don't hear much about that at all. It's not really discussed in the three most recent films. And it was really, I was just so immediately engrossed and wanted to learn more when Cara Dune drops that she's a shock trooper having served in the Rebel Alliance. Yep. Because that legacy content, hearing about, you know, Rogue Squadron and everything else in their battles, was what Mm -hmm. got me so goddamn invested in all of, you know, the extra Star Wars material. And so that's the kind of stuff that I really love to see and want to hear more about. And I, we get to hear a little bit more about her and it's fascinating and I only hope that we hear more. Yeah, I agree. I do think we have to pick the ATSD, oh, right? Yeah, As, no, no doubt. Completely agree. Uh, but also, I would. Uh, this is the second time now that I've done this. Um, I've mentioned this before, but I also point out uh, nostalgic moment of the episode for me is little baby Yoda eating a frog because we know 
<laughs> and this goes to the quote that you had, what little womp rat or something like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yoda ate reptiles too. Oh yeah. Uh, so every time I see baby Yoda reaching for a frog, it just, I just rem- am reminded of Empire Strikes Back when, when Yoda <laughs> is making stew for, for Luke and he's completely disgusted. It's such a wonderful series of moments between those two characters in that movie. And yeah, it is great to see that even referenced casually. And I'm hoping we'll get more of that before we're done. Yeah, I think we will. Okay, cool. Anything else you want to discuss before we wrap up? No, just uh, I think this show reaches a little bit of... Um, I think some of the weaker moments of this show are right here at about the middle. Uh, I think the next one's a little bit of stronger of an episode, but it has its own yeah. problems. Um, but it's still not that low of a valley. It's still great content. It's still very enjoyable. And it knows what it is. Like you said, this is aiming to be a Western set in the Star Wars universe. And it has the confidence to pull that off. Even if occasionally it's more eager to hit the tropes rather than it has time to develop them. Still is enjoyable to see. Yeah. And, you know, I usually push back on you when you you criticize anything in the Star Wars universe. But I think you're right here. I think there is a bit of a valley uh, in the season. But man, the last two episodes really take up uh, for that for me. It really comes back. Last two episodes, and even what I would also say is probably the second most tropey episode of the show, The the Prison Break. It's episode three. I adore that one. Because they that's the next one. No, we got one more before that. We got Tatooine next. Ah, okay. All right. Yep. Um, But I adore that one because it took the time to develop its cast of characters, which you have to do for a heist movie. And it doesn't. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, like the last two episodes are incredible, but we still got a rising out of the valley. It's going to happen years to go forward. Yeah, completely agree. All right, cool. Enjoyed doing this. This was a recap of Talks TV of Mandalorian Episode 4. Thanks, everybody.